Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. We are coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You're listening to the award-winning Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour. I'm the community reporter, Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin, Germantown Info Hub's community organizer, living here in the neighborhood with my family. The Info Hub Hour explores all things happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covers them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown Info Hub. Philadelphia has a very expansive history surrounding the labor unions and movements. In fact, there's so much history on them that two fellas decided to make a podcast about it. The Labor John podcast tackles the working class history of Philadelphia and the surrounding world with comprehensive research and off-color absurdity. And guess what? It's produced right here in our very own historic Germantown. Earlier this week, I got to catch up with the co-host, one of whom is a Germantown resident, and the other one whose father actually grew up here in Germantown, and I got to speak with them about their work on the podcast. So, without further wait, let's listen to my interview with the well-researched but not well-behaved duo, Gabe Christie and Sam James of the Labor Join Podcast. All right, y'all. So, before we start, how about introducing yourselves and giving our neighbors just a little background on who you are? You want to go first, Sam? No. Okay. I'm uh, uh, I'm Gabe Christie. I'm the co-host of the Labor John podcast. I live over in Wayne Junction up in Germantown. Um, I'm, I guess, the the research side of the podcast, and I will pass off to the entertainment side of the podcast. Hi, I'm Sam James, otherwise known as Young Sam James, and I am also a co-host of the Labor John podcast. I am from Roxborough, which is a neighborhood in Philadelphia. And um, I currently live in Roxborough, which is a neighborhood in Philadelphia. And I am the quote unquote entertainment part of the podcast, whatever that means. <laughs> so it sounds like Gabe is the well researched. And then Sam, you are the not well behaved aspect of the podcast. Yeah, Gabe created that little motto. And <laughs> it's it's so correct. Gabe, are you a native or did you just end up moving here? Uh Grew up outside of the Philly or outside of Philly in uh, Schwanksville and then uh, moved to Elkins Park and then mm. uh, moved down to South Philly after college. Okay. Where'd you go to college at? Uh, York College of Pennsylvania. Ah, Sam, did you go to college? Uh, I get that question all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a community college of Philadelphia for a little while. Didn't graduate, okay. but I had a good time. Okay, so you went to college. So, I yeah. mean, that's still a yes. Hey, yeah. I didn't ask you if you graduated. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a different question. You could have you could have asked if I graduated, like, grade school or something, you know. Yeah, so well, what I'll, grade school did you go I'll, to? I uh, went to St. Joseph Fats in Manny Young. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So, yeah, you've definitely been in Philadelphia all your life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Going off track here a little bit still again, Gabe, what do you like about Germantown? Definitely the community and that uh, we're – it's a nice little area. And we're two blocks from Attic Brewing Company, so that doesn't hurt either. Okay. Okay, so you're actually not too far from where I used to live. I used to live right on Logan and Green. Oh, yeah. And also, um, my father is actually a Germantown native. Mm. He actually he actually uh, lived right behind where Gabe is living right now for a number of years. 
okay. So um, Wayne, I think it's Wayne, right, Gabe? Yeah. Yeah. On no, Wayne. Wayne Ave. Yeah. Okay. So we got roots here. Either yeah. way, we got some roots here. I love to hear that. Um, so how did you both meet each other? How long has it been? It's now? been about, I think, 20 years now. I we something like that. Through through another friend. And it we were kind of like friends of friends for a very long time. And um, it was I think it was actually just like this podcast that kind of like I don't know what the word is, codified, solidified our friendship from 20 years into something like next level. And um, but uh, yeah, so uh, 20 years of friendship and it all paid off, I think, with this podcast. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. (laughs) Okay, cool. So getting back to the topic at hand, let's just talk a little bit about what Labor Drawn Podcast is. For some, of course, the name may be a little clear, but let's clear it up for those who aren't so clear. So what is the Labor Drawn Podcast? Uh, so we're a labor history podcast that focuses on uh, kind of Philly and the surrounding world. Um, we've kind of, we've tried to stick to kind of like a hundred mile radius around Philly. Um, we take a... Uh, I guess what you would call a pop history approach to labor history. So uh, every episode focuses on like a different strike or a different person. Um, and uh, then we basically just have fun with it from there and make sure that we at least get through as much of the history as we can in about an hour. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> so why did you both start the podcast right what's the common interest or connection between you both that said well you know let's talk about labor unions and movements and Maggie Coon and scepter strikes that's like very niche thing I think that um we're just both dirty leftists and I think this topic really just the topic of labor history and just talking about it because we were just talking about it just at parties and stuff like that because that's the origin of the actual podcast we were just about three sheets to win both of us and uh, we were like hey why don't we just we love talking about this stuff why don't we just put it out there and see if anybody else also likes to talk about it and hear about it so it was it just it was an interesting thing that interested both of us and uh yeah how about you Gabe what do you think uh I agree with that I know uh my Uh, personal reasoning for it was I had been slowly teaching myself labor history and knew I needed some kind of outside force to just force myself to actually sit down and learn all of it. And uh, this has definitely fulfilled that. Uh, But yeah, no, it's uh, it's just fun to talk about. And it's uh, with Philly labor history specifically, there's, or kind of the labor history of Southeastern Pennsylvania, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that was going on throughout or, and continues to go on. Uh, but we tend to be overshadowed by like New York and Chicago and a lot of the West Coast cities, um, mostly just because they were larger. Um, but I always like to drive home the, the argument that Philly is really the home of the American or the birthplace of the American labor movement. We had uh, some of the first unions in the country, the first general strike in the country. Uh, and there have been, oh, and the first uh, labor party and some of the first like early socialist movements uh, yeah. came out of Philly. But we tend not to get talked about that much in the 
kind of broader scope of American labor history because we just got overshadowed by all the uh, larger cities. Yeah, I actually was surprised, of course, when I was going and listening to some of the um, episodes, two of which I named, of course, The Scepter Strike and Maggie Coon. I was actually surprised that there were like already like 43 episodes. And I was like, wow, there's like so much more history to know about in Philadelphia slash Pennsylvania than people think. Right. But I would definitely say that it paid off. I mean, you both were in the well, the podcast itself was in the Inquirer's 45 podcast to listen to. How did that feel? Unbelievable. Uh, I think I think didn't we didn't you message them or something on Instagram, Gabe, saying like I'm so scared. I think so. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely unexpected. Um, the because I think we had only had like, I think we were under a thousand listens at that point. Yeah, we weren't too far in. Yeah, and uh, the uh, yeah the. It definitely picked up since then. So. Yeah, we, I, I, speaking personally, I definitely did not expect us to get to where we are with this podcast in within a year's time span. I mean, we were invited to a labor history symposium within months of us starting this podcast, and then the Inquirer mentioned, and then we had a live show at the Philadelphia Folk Song Society. I, it, it's, it's been crazy. It's been like a whirlwind. Wow, I didn't know about the um, live show. How was that? I'm sure the tensions must have been not, well, not necessarily tensions, but more so anxiety because people have asked me to do live podcasts, but however, I am just not a live podcast kind of person. Therefore, I have declined. So how was that? <laughs> um, Gabe, I'm going to keep on talking because I like to hear myself. Um, yeah. I, for me, I'm a musician and uh, part of the podcast, which at the end of our episode, I, if nobody knows, if, if you don't listen to the podcast, I do a song that has to do mostly with the topic at hand. And it's mostly like a labor history song or something. And adjusting my answer from before of why I got into all this part of it, because I grew up with the kind of the, the folk music of, you know, Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie, all this old folk music that had to do with the labor movement. They were very much in touch with all that together. And anyway, so doing this live show it was part podcast and part music so gabe would it would be just like doing a bunch of mini episodes at one gabe would just talk about uh we would pick a song gabe would talk about a topic at hand or whatever and then we would perform the song and get everybody to sing along with us um so personally the 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 show was amazing i thought it was a great turnout and uh we're really looking forward to doing something else and evolving it in the future. Anything else, Gabe? No, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was definitely a little more uh, nerve wracking for me than it was for Sam. I have a, a museum background, so I've done a lot of like public speaking in a museum setting, but being up on stage is definitely a little bit different. Uh, but uh, no, it was definitely fun and I definitely want to do more of them. So as a podcaster, I know how much can go into the behind the scenes of podcast production, right? So Gabe, you already talked about how you're the research and Sam, you're the entertainment. So what's your favorite thing about the podcasting experience? And then also what's your least favorite thing about it? Either one of you can go first. Uh, I'll go first. I think um, I also do like the editing and like the producing the back background kind of part and uh before we started this podcast, when me and Gabe were growing up together, we would make home movies together. No, not those kind. We would make just regular, you know, just making like funny films and stuff like that. And I always I always was the editor and I always just I always liked editing for some reason. So I liked editing the podcast. 
and the music definitely just being a musician and and trying to find the right song that goes with you know the the 1977 septa strike the 1987 nfl pa strike like what song do i do for this it's 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 i get so much enjoyment out of that so i think the music part is probably my favorite part of podcasting it's kind of tied between the research and the community um i think we've had or this is definitely given me an opportunity to meet mostly just virtually, but also a little bit in person, thanks to the live show, just some really fantastic people, both in like the Philly labor world and the labor history world writ large. It's definitely an odd experience going from basically just researching labor history as a fun side hobby to having like critically acclaimed professors messaging you on Instagram, Mm -hmm. but then also realizing that they're all just normal people who like talking about this stuff which is why they wrote books about it then i really enjoy i mean my research process at this point is basically picking like a rough time period or a rough year and just going and looking for mentions of strikes in newspapers and then digging down from there and that research process has always just been really fun where you can just keep pulling on that thread and see where it goes. And usually they end up being really, uh, really interesting and uh, pretty surprising. So, I mean, you both answered the first part of the question, but is there any least favorite part about it? For me, I actually do love editing. However, comma, when you do like two hour plus shows, editing is like, wow. (laughs) And then sometimes just because I have ADHD, the idea of sitting for like two hours and having conversations is sometimes like, wow, this is definitely not my steves, even though I do it very frequently. (laughs) I appreciate you saying that because I think that's my answer. Because as much as I love doing this, um, when you edit it, you have to listen to it all over again, at least once. So, (laughs) I mean... Uh, you know, you hear it once and then it's great. And then all of a sudden now you have to go back and you have to edit out all like the little blips and blops of the, the mic growing off and all that stuff. So that's, that's no fun, but um, it's, it's good. I mean, I get to, you know, hear the, the, the thing twice or three times. So I, I, I think I know the topic more than Gabe does by the end of it. Definitely. I forget most of the episodes, the moment they were done. <laughs> I think my least favorite part is probably doing it with me you can say a game you can no that is definitely not it uh i would say paywalls or dead ends in research that uh that just gets really frustrating uh there are a couple episodes that i really want to do but don't have access to the research yet and that just gnaws at the back of my head constantly (laughs) that is such an underrated answer thank you for saying that (laughs) Even as a reporter, I'm, when I go to write stories, I'm like, oh, wow, like, you want me to pay $4.99 to, like, read this? Oh, okay. Um, I guess I have to go find it from somewhere else. <laughs> so thank you for that. On that um, note, I do want to plug <laughs> thank you to the uh, Free Library of Philadelphia for giving me JSTOR access. So could not do this without them. Shout out to them. To date. What are your favorite episodes you both have worked on together? Um, I guess, I don't know what my favorite episodes would be. We have these, some from from time, sometimes Gabe lets me out of my cage and lets me research an episode or two. 
And we called those Sammy-sodes. That's what they originally were called because we thought they were going to be like mini-sodes, like 20 minutes or something. But Gabe underestimated, I guess, my ADHD. And so it, they went up to like 45 minutes to an hour. So, so far, there was only two episodes that I researched, and I can't wait to do more. But I think the first one that I did was the 19... Oh, what was that, Gabe? That the baseball or... Tosh Mahal. That was the baseball strike. It was the the first player strike in baseball back in 1912. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the Detroit Tigers uh, were playing at Shy Park in Philly and they walked off the field to protest tie cop suspension. And then they were replaced by these just random North Philly neighborhood kids. And it was so it, it, I, Gabe said in the episode, I can't believe this is not a movie. And I couldn't believe it either. This definitely should have been something. So um, I think that was my favorite episode. And then a couple weeks ago or a month ago, I saw that there's uh, there's another podcast called The Dollop, which and they're funny, they're like two comedian, two writers who do who pick a random uh, history topic and then they do like a, an hour with it. And they actually covered that. And I thought it was pretty good that we covered it before these, you know, real famous podcaster guys. So I think probably that one was my favorite one to do. Gabe, did I give you enough time to pick one? Yeah. Well, I'm... I can I'm talk sp- longer. <laughs> uh, I'm split between either the general textile strike of 1921 or uh, the general electric strike in... It was it 46 or something. Those are some uh, saucy strikes right there, too. Oh, yeah. The uh, One of the things I always find entertaining is uh, looking at what tactics they were using on the picket line um because most of these strikes it's you set up basically a wall of people marching in a little circle uh with a bunch of signs and whatnot um but they can get pretty inventive at times uh i think it was in the 1921 in the general textile strike uh that they basically turned it into like a or the picket line was just a party uh so they had like an open bar, they were holding dances, they were playing baseball. Uh, and this was also in the midst of prohibition. So not only yeah. were they on strike, which is inviting the cops to come and attack you, but then they were blatantly uh, breaking prohibition laws. Uh, and no one seemed to have touched them at all. Um, the uh, But the things like that where you just the strike basically just turns into like a block party yeah those are always really entertaining (laughs) Uh, if that doesn't make you want to join a union i don't know what will exactly uh and then uh for the electrical workers strike uh they basically like taunted the police by playing the national anthem three times in a row and everyone (laughs) had to stop take their hats off or salute and so they were uh like they knew that there was a fight that was about to break out and they stopped it from happening by just playing the national anthem and everyone had to freeze uh until one of the or the chief of police came over and told them that they had to stop it because uh was it like using using the national or playing the national anthem three times uh has become disrespectful (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they invented trolling yeah okay um but like 
the and there are some great pictures that came out of that as well because uh, there was a photographer right there and he managed to capture the picture as like this group of a couple hundred uh strikers and all of the police have stopped and are saluting together uh in the middle of like this really tense situation well yeah you're right if that doesn't make somebody want to join the labor movement i don't know what will <laughs> um and going back to a point that y'all had raised earlier about sometimes being behind paywalls and not being able to necessarily complete episodes that you want to, is there anything that you haven't explored on the podcast and would like to, or in conjunction with that question, is there any topic that you already explored that you would like to do like a follow-up on given the possibility of like new developments? Uh the i definitely need to do more research into uh the civil rights movement in the city because that's it's popped up a couple of times but i know there were a lot or there were a couple student strikes and there was i uh want to look into i think it was the desegregation of gerard college I know there are a lot of student protests there in the 60s. Uh, and that's been one of the ones that's just been at the back of my head for a while that I've been, I know I need to dive back into. Um, and then I really want to redo episode number three, which is the shirtwaist strike episode, because I've, now that I've done a year's worth of research since we released that, I have a lot more of the like broader context as to what was going on uh and so at some point i might revisit that sam but this is also the first you're hearing about it oh dear i'm always hearing about new things when we do the thing you know i think well gabe i think the only reason why i have this job the only reason that the reason that i can actually play my tunes at the end of every episode is because you need someone to edit these podcast episodes i don't I think that's the only reason why I have this. And so I think my answer would be that um, in the future, I would like to do, uh, we did talk about this. I don't surprise you with things on these interview episodes, Gabe Christie, is a music, um, something that's more centralized to the music of the labor movement. Because that is, because the if you go back, uh, music played a, a very big part and still continues to do in the labor movement. And I think we're going to evolve our live show into something. Uh, it's going to go off two ways. We're going to do a live podcast. And we're also going to do more of a just a more musically centralized show. So I would like to go into that direction. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Bring some people along, bring some guests along again. And I think it'll be a good time. So, yeah. I would also like to put down for the record that... Uh... Sam's contribution is much more than just editing and music, that he is the one that makes this uh, actually entertaining and not just me ranting into my uh, microphone for an hour straight. So, <laughs> oh, Gabe. Making, like, yeah. Man's making me blush. <laughs> I will add that um, for the, what was it, the Gerard College desegregation, Actually, a day before my birthday in 1968, I, I'm, I'm not, clearly, I wasn't born in 1968, um, but the day before my birthday on June 24th 
was the actual victory rally at Gerard College. So yeah, wow. I would love to hear about that. And you can always talk about me in that podcast. I mean, I didn't go to Gerard College. I have no connection to it, but <laughs> I'm vain and I'm delusional. So that works. Oh. We'll, we'll uh, make sure to release a birthday episode for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so yeah, so this is good stuff, fellas. Um, And we're coming up on time. So I guess just let our listeners know where they can get the scoop on all things labor unions and movements and how frequently they can expect to listen. And you can listen to us, Labor John Podcast, on where you ever get your daily podcast fix, Spotify, and then all the other ones, Apple Podcasts and all that. You can also check with us on the social medias, on Facebooks and Instagrams. And okay, what's, the, what's the one that's replacing Twitter? Mastodon? Yeah. Yeah. When Elon destroys Twitter, uh, Mastodon's the place to go. And... Uh, yeah, we're and Discord. We're on our Discord too, and we we post constantly. So like, you'll actually be talking to us if you go to any of those social media accounts, okay? And we like to have a good time and share some funny memes and stuff. That's my job. So, and uh, in case you're not from Philly and don't know how to spell it, it's L A B O R J A W N Labor John. And it's a bi-weekly podcast. Every two weeks oh, yeah. we do a podcast, and then we sometimes do special stuff on our Patreon, where if you give us money, we'll send you more stuff and merchandise and all that stuff like that. So we're lefties, but we're not that left. We'll we'll shill some stuff. <laughs> we, need, we need to keep this operation going. Listen, revolutions need funding. So. <laughs> yeah, the revolution will be funded. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you for taking the time to talk to us and let everybody know about the Labor Join podcast. We look forward to talking to you sometime soon in the future. And of course, we'll be listening out for all things labor unions and movements. Rashid, thank you. We really uh, enjoy. I enjoyed this, definitely. So thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to talk. See, I wasn't as scary as you thought. <laughs> oh, I'm still shaking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fellas. Well, thank you again. And I will talk to you soon. All right, Rashid. Thank you. Take Have a great home. night. Once again, neighbors, that was Gabe Christie and Sam James of the Labor Joint Podcast. It's available on most streaming platforms. And if you want to keep up with them, you can search at Labor Join on Instagram to stay connected. When we return, we will hear from Sheena Roberson about the newest and dopest community fridge in the Northwest Philadelphia region. On Saturday, January 14th, Developing Opportunities Providing Equity, also known as DOPE, unveiled their new community fridge in partnership with Farmer John Greenery in the Mount Airy section of Philadelphia. The fridge is the first of many to come around the city of Philadelphia. It's a continued effort to reimagine restorative works through art wellness and healing. The fridge has a wide variety of goals, including fostering community solidarity, reducing food waste, developing a food resource network with community partners, improving access to healthier and more nutritious food, offering regular education on food sovereignty and sustainability, and most importantly, it's addressing food insecurity in communities adversely impacted by the war on drugs. Germantown Info Hub spoke with Sheena Roberson, founder and CEO of Cannabis Noir, about the fridge. She outlined the mission and goals of the fridge and even how you can lend a hand. Let's listen in. Okay, so my name is Sheena Roberson. I am the founder, Cannabis Noir, which is a 
platform and organization dedicated to creating more equitable and safe access to spaces within both the cannabis industry and medicinal community. And from that, we've started our nonprofit, DOPE, um, developing opportunities and providing equity to support communities and persons adversely impacted by the war on drugs through very intentful healing, workforce development, housing and economic development support and resources. The main reasons, you know, obviously um, we see the, the food inflation costs happening to everybody, but just doing the work of being in a community and working with people adversely impacted by the war on drugs and, and understanding those very specific needs, it was very important for us to take a closer look at things that we can do that were measurable and tangible that we knew would be more than like a book bag drive or like placing a mural somewhere. What can we do to get into homes and help families specifically? So obviously, like I said, inflation of food costs um, and that one of the barriers to adversely impacted communities or for adversely impacted communities is food um, injustice and food sovereignty and access to healthy organic options. So combining those things, it seemed um, kind of like a no-brainer to try to create some type of a network or some type of a resource hub that we can provide access to not just food and organic options that were directly, you know, connected to forums like Former Join and community organizations like Full Abundance and Sharing Access, where we knew we were getting quality products and produce, things that we knew families would need. Um, but also, we wanted to make sure that they would have access to educational resources of how to use these fresh produce options, how they can use their community-supported agriculture um, memberships that we would be providing for community members in home through food demonstrations and um, a variety of other like virtual opportunities to connect, SNAP benefits, helping people um, who have language barriers and English is maybe their second language, understand that they have also uh, resources and access to food options outside of, you know, their local supermarkets and corner bodegas, which are all very unhealthy. Um, so it was it was a, a multitude of things of, of coming from this community, seeing firsthand what we knew would be an obstacle and trying to find something measurable and tangible um, through uh, our already existing community partners like Former John um, to do something that that would take away some of the, the burden for, for folks from these communities. The things that developing opportunities and providing equity focuses on um, or dope focuses on is really identifying the specific needs of communities impacted by incarceration and not so much the blanket need. Um, we really look to the person, the families impacted, the children impacted, the outside barriers, um, persons of impacted by incarceration are typically facing up to or more than 48,000 barriers of entry to things of like housing, uh, medical assistance, supportive services, economic development, education. Uh, there's a battery of, of obstacles that a person who has experienced car incarceration faces. Um, and that's a large narrative and very important that we invest in, but there's so many other additional layers to, to those needs um, and so many things that exist compounded 
um, in communities for people of color that exist, um, that it's it was important for us to try to find ways to kind of fine tune some of our programming to support those more internal needs, um, the things that sometimes get overlooked. Um, we are very big on supporting mental health, access to organic food options and food sovereignty, creating opportunities for workforce development that align with people's natural gifts and abilities, and ensuring that people have the stability and the access to uh, equitable housing with their family members who have been formerly incarcerated um, in communities that they they come from in, in and in not gentrified spaces that they no longer recognize. We actually have a program with local developers that um, that requires them to um, earmark 20% of their properties for people who have to check that box because it limits their options. And it's not fair that they come back home to not only a neighborhood that you don't recognize, but they also can't afford and are being pushed out of because of their prior history. Um, so I think it was it was really an, really important for us to think about who our community partners were, where we were invested in um, as an organization and as a community. What resources were we were we really focused on giving? Right, like back to school drives. We want to make sure kids have book bags too, but we also want to make sure that they that they have food, that they're eating breakfast in the morning, that their their mental wellness is stable, healthy. And that these kids are happy and, and feel safe going to school. Um, we're experiencing a really big violence crisis with a, a gun epidemic. And, and a lot of these impacted communities that we are working in have access to therapists, therapists of color who not only understand some of their needs, but can support some of their obstacles and, and can relate to them in a more intimate way. Just trying to find ways to be of support in a way that creates sort of organic pathways to resources that we know folks need. So now these bridges being these gateways and access hubs to additional resources and education and hopefully other programming and services that they may need we provide was also one of the reasons um, it felt very natural to do um, and why it seemed very um, important for us to spread this beyond just the Germantown fridge and now we're doing a series of fridges that will act as a sort of network hub throughout the city with a, in alignment with our partners and some of our other programming. So they'll be in communities where we're working on housing initiatives. They'll be in communities where we're doing regular creative work development programming and ensuring that people are getting support for their natural abilities and gifts and aligning them with purposeful, meaningful opportunities um, and mentorship. Um, they'll, these bridges will be in the spaces where we'll be hosting, you know, the food demos and the educational resources. So it was important for us to make sure that we aligned all of these things with people who had the same values in mind as well. And were, were adamant about supporting those very finite and, and very specific detailed needs that sometimes get overlooked in sort of the grand scheme and conversation ways you can give to the fridge. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can support the development opportunities and providing equity fridges. There's a variety of, of purpose and resource built into each location, but you are welcome to leave anything that is packaged, not expired, and properly labeled. Um, we aren't accepting any raw meat right now, but 
we do also have a dry pantry where you can leave feminine hygiene products, diapers, dry goods, and all of the other things. So, and some people leave notes to cheer someone up for the next visit. So you are welcome to also make any cash app or open collective donations, which you can find on our website or via any of our fridge locations. There's a barcode on any of our, on all of our stickers that takes you directly to our giving page. All of our community partners have those, uh, their, those in their window as win window claims as well. So you can definitely find um, us online or in your community at, uh, via our local partners, partnerships and community resource network partners. Those people are also listed on our website and we're highlighting them all next month on our social media. So definitely check that out. I think the biggest takeaway from hopefully um, learning about the fridge a little bit with me today is that this fridge is for everybody. Um, I've been in a space where I have been make, trying to make sure that I eat better because I know my diet is a part of how I feel and how I operate. And I know it's important. And I know that food is medicine. And I try to be thoughtful about that. But it's really hard in the community that I'm working and living in because there's a lot of unhealthy options. And they're more often than not more accessible and more affordable. So in most cases, there was not a community fridge that had fresh, healthy, organic things that I can grab to eat and maybe just cash up a few bucks to. And um, I thought of this as a real opportunity to provide something for everybody. Um, this is not just for people who are quote unquote at risk or at need because right now with the inflation of food costs and what will be coming down the pipeline in terms of what we will be paying at the grocery store, this fridge is for everyone. It's, it's everybody's resource. Um, everybody has access to it. You are more than welcome to help come down and join us, be a part of any of the education or resources that we offer. We offer monthly raffles for a community-supported agriculture membership boxes. And it's something that we are heavily promoting because we understand the importance of having healthy food and food sovereignty and these being available in these communities because it's just not. Um, unfortunately, you look six blocks in every direction and you'll only find fast food stores, corner bodegas, um, and places where you most likely will not be able to find any fresh produce. So I think that the biggest takeaway from this is that I, I hope that everybody is utilizes this and invests in this as, and sees this as an opportunity to do something um, or get, that that could genuinely um, help everybody. Um, this is this wouldn't be something um, that is limited to to any one subset or group of person of color, race, gender. This is literally for everybody because everybody's going to be experiencing this this food inflation obstacle soon. So hopefully this will be something that maybe unifies us and we see as a, a, a resource that the community is building together um, and, and that will grow and, and spread and other things we do as a community and other investments we make together will, will grow and, and we'll see the community and other um, obstacles and things that we can accomplish together. Once again, that was Sheena Roberson talking about the new dope community fridge in Mount Airy. The fridge is located right outside Farmer John Greenery at 6730 Germantown Ave. If you want a full list of things you can and cannot contribute to the fridge and pantry, you can visit our website at 
germantowninfohub.org and read our article spotlighting the fridge. Before we end today's show, I will share some events and opportunities gathered for our reporter roundup, where we occasionally share events and opportunities in the interest of our neighbors available here in Germantown and around the city. So first on the list is the PHA voucher waitlist application. After a 12-year hiatus, the Philadelphia Housing Authority reopened its waitlist applications this past Monday at 6 a.m. So this is the first time that PHA is accepting online applications only. So if you need assistance, you should probably call 215-999-3102. Again, 215-999-3102 between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. for things like email setup, translation, or communication alternatives. And if anyone is looking to sign up, they will need the following things, a working phone number, an address if you have one, and if not, a mailing address where you can be contacted, combined incomes of the entire household, and the full name, date of birth, and social security number or alien registration number for the head of the household. These applications are open until Sunday, February 5th at 5.59 p.m., so please move quickly to get them in as soon as possible. If you have internet access and have loved ones who need this resource, we suggest working with them to get those applications in. PHA will approve about 2,000 residents as soon as the application closes, and then they will work to approve 10,000 altogether after that. They anticipate about 50,000 applications. And so to put in an application and to see other information like income limits and guidelines, visit P pha.phila.gov. Again, that is pha.phila.gov. So then next up, we are uplifting a path to prosperity, which is a paid job readiness program with a direct path to employment opportunities. They are currently recruiting for their second cohort, and that will begin on February 7th. The program is for folks who are 18 to 34 years old and want help getting ready for their next career move. We spoke with the cohort leader, Nicole Cobb, on our October 27th, 2022 episode of the InfoHub Hour. So if you want to learn more about A Path to Prosperity, I would recommend visiting our website and listening to that episode. But to apply for this program, and if you want to learn more from their website, I would also visit mercyneighbors.org slash P2P. And if you have questions, you can call or text 610-952-2184. Again, if you have any questions about Path to Prosperity, you can call 610-952-2184. Moving on, Blue Stop has commissioned the work of Germantown neighbor and operator of Jazzbox, Doriana Diaz, to facilitate some bookmaking and collaging classes. This is a series of classes that will delve into the practices of bookmaking and collaging as a ritual. Participants will learn how to build their own journals as they learn different methods of bookmaking each week. Ideologies included in this course include joy, glory, black paradise, and more. Folks will leave this course confident in the methods of bookmaking and collaging as a ritual for resistance and the ability to make their own journals moving forward in their writing journeys. This class comes at a cost of $250, but financial aid is available for neighbors who may not be able to afford that. 
Registration closes on January 31st, and the course runs from February 1st to February 22nd, so it's imperative that you get those applications in as soon as possible. To register for this course, you can simply go to bluestoop, B-L-U-E-S-T-O-O-P dot org. Again, that is bluestoop.org. Lastly, the Color Girls Museum has a call for poems from local color girls. Their current exhibition, Citispell, will reopen in March, and the exhibit features the house naming each of her rooms and spaces as a body part. They are inviting submissions from local colored girls, which relate and respond to any of the rooms as listed. Eyes, mouth, arms, back, hands, breast, heart, womb, feet, and spine. The writing prompt that you can follow is if every room in a house was a body part, what would she be? These poems are due by February 20th, and you can visit their Instagram page at the Colored Girls Museum, and then you can use the link in their Instagram account bio to access that submission form. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have story ideas or information that you want to share with the Germantown Info Hub, feel free to email us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com. You can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub, on Twitter and Instagram, and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. Additionally, you can read our stories at germantowninfohub.org. We encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly line, another program under Resolve Philly, allowing Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that provides subscribers with vetted local news and resources. To start asking questions, you can text Equal Info to 73224. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print news newsletter available at health centers and libraries all over the city and that's about it once again i am rashida jamu the reporter for the info hub and i'm maleka fruin thank you to gabe and sam for speaking with us about the labor john podcast thank you to sheena roberson for sharing her vision for the dope community fridges and as always, thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging and allowing the Info Hub to serve you. And until next time, good night, Germantown.